Major upsets in college football, a wild weekend in the NFL with three overtime games on Sunday, and the NBA tips off, and we gotta rank it for the new season. All that and more on this week's pod. And Manning's gonna heave one is oh, there's a flag back to one-handed catch box back out to Allen. His three point pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. What's going on, guys? Welcome to The Crew Sports Pod, Episode 7. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Crew Sports Pod. I'm Michael Keem, joined here always by Vito Patel. How's it going, Vito? I'm doing great. Good college football and good NFL weekend, and now we got some NBA action, too. This is going to be opening night of NBA coming up here shortly. Uh, But first... We're going to, as usual, start with our college football recap. Not too much going on in college football this week, but we still had some good games. The biggest, probably, surprise, actually, definitely the biggest surprise, we had number two Iowa goes down to Purdue, of all teams. Purdue, though, beat Iowa last year, and Iowa only had two losses last year. I saw that, and so it seems like Purdue just has Iowa's number. They have the formula to beat Iowa, because it's not like many teams are beating Iowa. But uh, yeah, Purdue played a really good game on offense, especially wide receiver David Bell. I saw that, yeah. He had 11 receptions, 240 yards, and just all around dominated. And Iowa secondary is known to be really, really good, and they just couldn't find an answer for him. Yeah, I was going to say, Iowa got shredded through the air. Purdue also has a couple quarterbacks they play, usually, and O'Connell is like the, the second one. Yeah. And he threw for 375 yards, and yeah, 240 of them went to David Bell. Felt like he was just throwing at him all day. But Iowa State is the only other team this year that has thrown for over 200 yards against Purdue, and they threw for 252. Oh, wow. Every other team was like 170, 180 yards maybe, but O'Connell threw for 375 David Bell out-received most teams that played Iowa this year. He had more receiving yards than the entire teams. He was only 12 yards short of Iowa State, who was the second most. Insane. Incredible. But even crazier, though, was Purdue's defense, I felt like. They absolutely locked down Iowa. And Petrus threw four interceptions against this Purdue defense, which all around, like it just seemed like Iowa couldn't do anything right uh, on offense. Going back to what you said about the four interceptions... Three of those came in the red zone in the last five minutes of the game. Oh, wow. I mean, one was the very last throw, and it was like, I guess you call that one like a garbage time pick. But the other two were like, when Iowa was trying to come back, they were in the red zone. One other thing I want to say about Iowa, they had a turnover on downs in the fourth quarter at like the 10-yard line when they were down like 17. They were about to score, but you're down 17. You need a field goal and two touchdowns. Get the field goal. And then you still need the two touchdowns, but they got stuffed. That No, that's tough. And yeah, Purdue overall just outgained them too. 464 yards to Iowa's only 271. Overall, Purdue just absolutely kind of dominated Iowa. And Purdue finally made the top 25. And if Purdue didn't have a slip-up week the week before against Minnesota, Purdue's only loss this year would be to Notre Dame. And they could be a top 15 team for sure. But Iowa had a pretty easy schedule looking forward too, so it kind of hurts their playoff chances a lot. Yeah, that that Purdue loss definitely put a dent in their playoff chances. And last week we were talking about 
possible scenarios for the Big Ten to get two teams into the playoffs, I think that's out the window now. I was thinking, I hope there's some chaos this weekend. Damn, at least there was some big chaos, honestly. A top two team went down again. A little bit in the Big Ten, yeah. Another upset that happened over the weekend, we had LSU took down number 20, Florida. That was a pretty good game, and honestly, I didn't expect that kind of game to be so high scoring, 49 to 42. Looking at the stat sheet, running back Tyrone Davis-Prince had 287 rushing yards and three touchdowns. On 36 carries. What a workhorse. Yeah, that was a back-and-forth game the whole time, and Florida never let LSU get too far ahead. LSU, I think, had a huge second quarter. They put up three touchdowns, but then Florida got a touchdown and a Hail Mary right to end the half, so LSU was never too far in front, so it was always a game. And Florida, who's generally a good rushing team, dominated through the air. They had 350 yards between their two quarterbacks. They also play like a two-quarterback system. And LSU, who's normally a pretty decent pass defense they have two all-american corners from last year but i mean they still had four picks each each of florida's quarterbacks had two picks and then lsu who's generally a pretty decent throwing team dominated on the ground like you said with davis price had 36 carries for 287 yards and three touchdowns this game itself was kind of hard to predict because a lot of people didn't think lsu was gonna win but the way that it happened like uh, there's no chance i could see anybody who thinking the way this game came out and like as you said the rushing team passed really well and the passing team rushed really well it was a crazy upset but after the upset you heard about coach O. the crazy thing is like they pulled off an upset and like coach O two years ago won the national championship with arguably the greatest team ever in college football so it's kind of, it's crazy that like to think that there's no real job security in this uh, but the good thing I liked about LSU is they let the coach finish the season. So he's going to finish the rest of the season. But next year, they're going to find another coach. It seemed like the decision was, I would assume, the decision was made before that game. They just didn't announce it till after. But, I mean, it seemed like, like you said, two years ago, that LSU team was one of the best colleges ever seen. And they lost 13 players to the draft. And it just seemed like with those 13 players leaving, like you lost all your leadership there, right? And so it seemed like from there, Coach O maybe lost the locker room or didn't know how to recover from losing, you know, all your top guys. Because last year they struggled and people were kind of pointing to the slow start this year as like a continuation of last year's struggles. And so it seems like now at the end of the year, yeah, Coach O and LSU agreed to part ways. Have you seen the names they've been throwing around for his replacement? No, who who? So a couple of them, I wrote down a couple of them. They had Lane Kiffin from Ole Miss. I feel like, I don't think he would leave because... Yeah, they're doing really well this year. Yeah, they're doing so well. I don't know. The timing doesn't work out for that. Uh, Another one, Jimbo Fisher from Texas A&M. James Franklin from Penn State. These guys are all just really good. (laughs) I mean, I know, but like, if you go into LSU, you have, well, maybe not Penn State, but like for Lane Kiffin or Jimbo Fisher, if you come to LSU, you have access to more resources, bigger program. Yeah. You can recruit better. So it's kind of like a step up in terms of program. Actually, though, I would say I would say Jimbo Fisher's doing a pretty good job at AM. They have some pretty good talent and I'd say I think they're the best team in Texas year in year out like better than Texas. I don't know. It'd be tough for Jimbo, but I I could see Lane Kiffin going there, but I mean, no, Lane Kiffin's doing too well right now in Ole Miss. That's true. Like, who, who would expect Ole Miss to be so good? And then a couple guys from the NFL. They got Urban Meyer. That would be insane. Yeah, he's not doing too hot in the NFL. 
And then Joe Brady, the Panthers offensive coordinator, yeah, who was LSU's passing game coordinator during their championship run with Joe Burrow. That would be nice. Yeah, so they got time to find a replacement. They got till the end of the season to come up with their list, and then the off season start, you know, setting up interviews and stuff. But it'll be interesting to see who takes the spot. It kind of uh, works well for Coach O too, because he still has a chance to show that you know he could end on a strong note. And maybe, you know, you land a good job next, too. So I think this is kind of a win-win situation. And, like, sticking with your coach for the end of the year is the best for the players, too. I feel like when you leave your coach halfway through a season, the players start losing, you know, a little, that, little bit of that motivation. It's tough, yeah. I mean, unless you're the Raiders. They seem to do pretty well. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> they won. On uh, other college games from last week, Oklahoma State versus Texas was a good game. And Oklahoma State keeps their playoff chances alive with a good win. I'm going to be honest. I think Texas should have won that game. And they just shot themselves in the yeah. foot. They were up 17-3. to And they're in the red zone too. And then Casey Thompson, their quarterback, throws a pick six. So instead of going 24-3, to it's 17-10. to And it was 17-13 at the half. And even then, though, they still didn't give up their first lead until five minutes left in the game. So Texas was up the whole game and then uh, just, yeah, pretty much blew it, which is kind of sad because I pretty much think Texas did the same thing last week against Oklahoma, too. They were absolutely dominating the first half and they blew the lead and gave it up. And really, Texas could have two top 10 wins now and be in the playoff conversation. Is that their third loss on the year now? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say because B. John Robinson had another good game. 135 yards rushing, like 178, I think. Total, two rushing touchdowns, a receiving touchdown. B. John Robinson is a tank. And you know what the scary thing about this Texas offense? They were going to return Casey Thompson, B. John Robinson, and Xavier Worthy. All of them are coming back next year. Steve Sark is coming back next year. And so if their offense is explosive right now, like next year, sheesh. They'll be good next year. And I was going to say, going back to you talking about how Texas shot themselves in the foot, they were by far the better team for the first three and a half quarters of the game. But they never closed it out. They never, like, pulled away from OK State. OK State, yeah, they stayed sure. in the game. They lingered around. And in the fourth quarter, they went on, like, a 16-0 run. And they ended up winning. The last half of the fourth quarter was all Oklahoma State. Yeah, they won that small segment of the game. But Texas pretty much showed that they were a more dominant team for the most part. But then shot themselves in the foot. But, yeah, good observation. Yeah, it was just at the end. They played 50 minutes of good football. You got to play 60. <laughs> They should have learned from last week. I'm kind of confused. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, another game that was pretty good. Almost, almost upset. Michigan State versus IU. IU's defense looked good. I mean, they held yeah. Michigan to one offensive touchdown that they got late in the game. They had two big picks, but then also threw a couple picks. And, I mean, I think Michigan State at half had like, or at least their quarterback only had like 30 Four thirty-seven yards, something like that, going into half. So I mean, they really didn't let up at all. McFadden had another huge game, but the offense. I mean, we got Penix out with the injury. Tuttle didn't look too bad for his first start, but they settled for like three field goals in the first half. Two of them were when they were deep in the red zone. I mean, IU's defense has shown to be very strong, and Kenneth Walker, uh, Michigan State's running back, was in the Heisman talk, and you know he was held under a hundred yards. Peyton Torn, Thorn of Michigan State. I mean, he's a solid quarterback, and you know he didn't even have 130 yards. Like he had 126 and two picks. So like I use defense as the strong suit, and I think I use defense as a strong suit against Cincy too. But that offense hasn't been able to move the ball well. I mean, though I give a lot of respect to IU. They're two and four, but all four of those losses were top ten teams. That's crazy, and they have two more top ten teams left to play. <laughs> exactly. 
And Purdue's ranked two now, so another ranked opponent there. So IU's schedule is just absolutely brutal. Also, it's a pretty pretty veteran team, so I think they're gonna lose a decent amount of players this year. Yeah, I I believe so too. But I mean, a couple good things I like about what's going on though is I think the recruiting class they're starting to get a little better. At IU not like great, but it was like from like seventy or eighty to like top fifty, which is still a strong improvement. Other thing that's big is like the transfer portal. We got a couple of our best players, Stephen Carr especially from the transfer portal. Like getting someone like yeah. him. That was a big Because I think Stephen Carr was a former five-star recruit, too. So if, like, you could land some recruits, like, some transfers like that, Tom Allen's a great coach. So, But, you know, a lot of people are going to start hating because of the record. But behind the record, you realize, like, IU probably is playing one of the hardest schedules in all of college football. They could be 6-6, six and six, only losing to top 10 teams. Yeah, <laughs> which is insane. But I wouldn't be surprised if next year they took, like, a slight... No, actually, I don't think they take a step back next year because... I think the record will be similar. I, the team might be worse, though. It's just their schedule will be easier. Yeah. Uh, looking at the new AP Top 25 poll, had a decent amount of changes. So Iowa drops out of the top 10. They go from 2 all the way down to 11. So a brutal drop just because of that loss to Purdue. But, I mean, there's still the other four Big Ten teams that we talked about last week are still in the top 10. Bama crawls back in the top four. And Oklahoma State gets into the top 10 with their win over Texas. Deservingly so. Yeah. And then we had five teams drop out of the rankings. Arkansas, Arizona State, BYU, Florida, and Texas all drop out of the top 25 with losses. And so we got five new teams back in. So Auburn, Baylor, and Pittsburgh are back in the top 25. And UTSA and Purdue round out of the top 25. It's great that Pittsburgh's ranked, but I saw that Pittsburgh has a big showdown with Clemson this weekend. Winnable game. Now Clemson is the is the underdog. Actually, yeah. yeah. you're right. They're still not ranked. Yeah, you're right. They are the underdog. Wow. I don't remember the last time Clemson was an underdog, though. Outside of maybe playing like LSU. But like an underdog in ACC play. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the... I'm sure they'll probably be favored still. But I mean, in terms of like rankings, they're playing an opponent ranked higher than them in the ACC. They opened as an underdog against Pittsburgh is the headline. Really? What's the line? Through uh, three points, Pittsburgh's through a three-point favorite. Wow. Clemson is an underdog to Pitt? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Wow. Yeah, not have thought that coming in this year. No, not a chance. Um, looking ahead to next week, there are no top 25 matchups. We got Georgia, Michigan State, Iowa, Kentucky, Auburn, and Baylor all on bye. But we still have a couple good games. Uh, Notre Dame and USC, both coming off of buys. They will be playing in South Bend under the lights on Saturday. I love primetime games in South Bend. They're, they're nice. Night college games are always so much fun. College games fall on a Saturday night. And like NFL games are like Sunday night. So I feel like folks get rowdy and like loud and like, you know, they, they, they can relax the next day. But so I feel like college crowds are way louder at night. I could be wrong. I have no facts to prove that. I'm sure the student sections also help with the rowdiness. That's fair. Uh, I was going to say, though, USC and Notre Dame has just been a heated rivalry like, for years. You ask most Notre Dame fans, this is definitely our number one rival. Like We, we just absolutely hate USC. And yeah, USC dominated us early 2000s, but Notre Dame's won the last seven out of, seven out of the last 10 matchups, including three in a row. Notre Dame leads the all-time series 47-37 to 37 with five ties. This series was pretty much deadlocked prior to our run we've been making recently. 
as of right now, though, unfortunately, USC was supposed to be good this year, but they haven't, yeah, been all that. And they even fired their coach midseason. And unlike Ed Orgeron, he's gone. Like, he's not coaching the team anymore. But that being said, uh, Notre Dame has some good scoring lines coming into the game. Uh, I mean, Michael Mayer didn't play last game. And I saw that we made a couple of changes, like, to our offensive line. So I wonder if, you know, the offensive line finally sees some improvements. I mean, they had the bye week to figure some things out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if we could get that running game going, and the, if Cone plays like he did uh, in the last few minutes against Virginia Tech, we should be fine because this USC defense, like their strong suit is definitely their offense, but this USC defense is averaging, giving up almost like 30 points a game. And so I think Nordim should have a good time scoring if we get this offensive line figured out. Yeah, I also saw that during the week, like leading up to this game, Kelly said they're going to continue with a cohen buckner mix yeah i saw that give me pine and, oh, just again yeah why not pine <laughs> what was wrong with him there's yeah he, he's the only one who did throw a pick of these guys i feel like he must be looking like horrible in practice or something actually that's probably what it is yeah i hope so because every time we see him in game he's the probably the best out of the three for sure there there certainly are players that are just i i like i truly believe this that are gamers and some that are practicers okay well let's see if he's a gamer who cares if he's bad in practice if he's good in game yeah exactly some players just do better under pressure i think that's been what pine is the way jack cone finished out that virginia tech game i think he does deserve a chance to start but if he does mess up i think we shouldn't put in buckner we should put in pine I'll be okay with a mix of Cohen and Pine. Yeah. I don't know why Buckner's still getting these chances. I mean, he's not, I'm not saying he's bad. No, he's definitely good. But like, I think he needs time to develop. He's not a thrower. He's not close to the thrower that like Cohen or Pine are. No, I totally agree. He, he had a couple good throws and a good first half, but then he, he's he's quick to figure out because most of his ability is scrambling. And second half of a Virginia Tech game, like he had an awful game and almost cost us the game if he didn't get injured. I mean, he threw that pick six. He threw that costly pick. Luckily, Jack Cone saved the day. The only thing that I really saw from Buckner was that one 70-yard pass to... Kevin Austin. Yeah. That that was it. That was like one that, of his no, first passes. Pass, but... Yeah, it was good. But after that, like I saw nothing the rest of the game. He played a lot. He's just not experienced for this. He's definitely athletic and he has an arm. But, you know, leave it to the players who have proven that they can move the ball with actually passing it. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, another interesting game that I'm thinking for next week, LSU versus Ole Miss. Oh, I see why it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, both coming off of close wins. The spread, though, does not make it seem interesting. They got Ole Miss by 11. Wait, what? I mean, yeah. I, I like Ole Miss, but yeah. what? Initially looking at this game, I thought Ole Miss would win, but by 11? I don't know about that. Yeah. The thing is, both defenses give up a lot of points. LSU's averaging 28 points, Ole Miss giving up 30 a game. So, like, but both also really have good offenses. So, this is about to be a shootout. Oh, absolutely. I can see that for sure. But do you trust Ole Miss defense to stop LSU that many times for it to be a 11 point spread? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Or do you see Ole Miss's offense just putting up that many points? I didn't think Florida was going to put up 42 on LSU either. Like, I didn't think either of those teams were going to score a lot. But Ole Miss's offense is one of the best in golf college football, so I could see them putting up that many points. But LSU put up 49 on Florida's defense. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, I think it's better than Ole Miss's defense. Yeah, that's true. It's better than Ole Miss's defense. But yeah, that, that should be a really good game. Yeah, and speaking of Ole Miss... So after their close game last week with Tennessee, Tennessee got dealt a hefty fine by the SEC 
for the fan behavior at the end of that game. $250,000 fine and a review of the alcohol availability at the stadium. They were throwing all kinds of garbage onto the field. They had to stop the game for like 20 minutes, and Lane Kiffin got hit with a golf ball. Uh, The SEC says they're not suspending alcohol sale privileges at this time, but they reserve the right to do so if Tennessee can't get its fans under control. That was just kind of crazy. That is. I couldn't even imagine that the fans would get so rowdy. And, like, I don't even know. Like, that's just unacceptable behavior, too. Like, what? I mean, they they hit Lake Kiffin with a golf ball. That's like that's like that's dangerous because it's a golf ball. Like that could that could actually injure someone. The majority of it was probably coming from the student section, but yeah, they were throwing all kinds of trash, and they stopped the game for a while. They moved the old Miss bench like a little bit infield, so they would stop throwing stuff at them. But crazy scenes coming out of Tennessee last week. Uh, looking at last week's NFL, yeah, we had Bills Titans Monday Night Football. I mean, the Titans, some good stuff comes from Tennessee right now. (laughs) I said last week, everyone was saying like, oh, the Bills, after what they did to the Chiefs, everyone was saying, oh, the Bills got this one in the bag. I told you guys, I hate Tennessee. They always play Buffalo good. Yeah, I mean, they're just a damn good team, too. Like, I don't know how they had those early losses, but like coming into the season, I was thinking they're going to be one of the tough teams to beat. I mean, when they lost to the Jets, A.J. Brown and Julio were both out, so... That that's could be part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's still the Jets, though. Like, yeah, <laughs> you gotta lose. Everyone loses a couple. I mean, still, and even that game that went to overtime, but that just kind of proved that the Titans are actually pretty good now. Yeah, and usually, so in the past years, the Bills have had Derrick Henry's number. So we played him the last three years, and I don't think he's ever cracked like seventy-five yards. Of course, this week he had a seventy-six-yard touchdown run. Derrick Henry went off. He had three touchdowns. I mean, once he starts going, he's just hard to stop. Last play of the game, the Bills had the ball fourth and inches inside the five-yard line, right? And there's like 30 seconds left on the clock. They're down by three. They went for it. Wait. Oh. I was pretty animated during it. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm okay with that call. I guess it shows that Allen's kind of gained the trust of the team and the coach. And they were like, okay, with with that call. And it seemed like they were content with what happened. Impressive on Tennessee, though, uh, because a lot of times that's like a pretty much a lock for Buffalo to win then. I mean, being in that position with that little time left, if you guys score a touchdown, it's hard for Tennessee to come back. Yeah, and that was they were kind of just going for the game instead of going to overtime. But a couple takeaways from the game. I think it highlighted the Bills' only offensive issue, and that's like tight red zone offense. Early in the game, the first two possessions, I think, they got into the red zone, and they had to settle for two field goals. So that's that's pretty huge. They could have built up a lead from the very beginning of the game and put it out of reach early, but once they get inside the 10, their run game is not the strongest. It has to do a little bit with our offensive line, but it becomes hard to throw in there. And once it gets really crowded in there, They've had a hard time getting into the end zone from inside the 10-yard line. And another thing, it kind of exposed how to defend against Allen. Tennessee kept flushing him out to his left. When he's going out to his left, he can't like turn back and throw to the right side of the field or to the middle of the field. And because it limits him from doing that, he doesn't really look down the field as much. He tr- looks either for like a, a dump-off pass right in front of him or to run it. There was one time in the red zone, he got flushed out to his left, and he kind of like tucked it and tried to run. But a little further down the field, you had Manuel Sanders 
in the back of the end zone by himself. It happened a couple times, but Allen didn't see it. But if you flush him to his right, it's almost guaranteed it's going to be a big play. Every time he goes to his right, his eyes stay downfield. Against the Chiefs, we had that touchdown to Dawson Knox. Against Tennessee, there was a similar play, and it ended up as a touchdown to Cole Beasley late in the game. So when he goes to his right, it's dangerous, but if you get him to his left, he doesn't look downfield as much because it's harder to get a throw down there anyway. I feel like teams are going to be looking to do that moving forward. So a couple things to, to look at for the Bills heading into their bye week this week. Though, still, even despite that, though, he still had a pretty solid game, even if uh, there's instances of them uh, figuring him out. Still a good game. I'm not, like, totally disappointed. I feel like we'll still end with a better record than the Titans. So in terms of AFC seeding, it's not too bad. Bears hosted the Packers this week. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers just has the Bears number. Like He did say that during the game. <laughs> Yeah, and for Aaron Rodgers to basically say that, he's like, it's just a reminder that Aaron Rodgers isn't just like an idea. He's a person that comes to Chicago once a year just to beat my Bears. And <laughs> he beats us every time almost. Like, I think I we might have beat him three times in like the 10 years he's played for Green Bay. So that means they beat us like 20-something times, I think, with Aaron Rodgers. And it's just a lot of these games we have to lead. We're winning this game. It doesn't really matter because Aaron Rodgers is going to come back in the fourth quarter and beat us. On the bright side, though, the Bears' defense played pretty solid. They slowed down Aaron Rodgers, and Fields showed some glimpses of being pretty good. But he had a couple of bad plays where he just threw some bad picks with, like, pure lack of communication. Like, he threw a couple of deep balls, but not a single receiver in the vicinity, which just shows that, like, he's just on the same page as receiver. But, like, I don't know if you remember in 2019... I don't know why I'd remember this so distinctly, but Ohio State played Clemson. He throws a pick in the end zone and uh, just ends the game because they're down by the score. I do yeah, remember that. And the receiver is Olave, too. And he throws in the completely wrong side of the end zone. Yeah, I remember that. Maybe it's a thing with Fields. He just has miscommunication with his receivers. And like literally the same thing happened twice against the Packers. Yeah, I hope it's not the same mistakes he's making Ohio State again. Uh, but at least on the bright side, though, our top two running backs, David Montgomery and Damian Williams, is out. So we play like a true rookie. And we still ran the ball pretty well, which shows that the Bears' offensive line has improved a lot. I had similar takeaways. I was going to say the defense looked better than in recent weeks. And, I mean, you're playing one of the hottest offenses in the league right now. So to be able to slow them down even a little bit and have it kind of a low-scoring game is a plus, like, moving forward. And, yeah, Fields looked like... He's improving like a little bit every week. He's starting to pick up on the speed of the game. And like, he looks a lot better than in his first starts when he looked like a deer in headlights. Against, yeah, the Browns. No, he looked way better than that. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing for me for the Bears is I don't think we're going to be a playoff team. But can Fields get better every week? And can our defense look pretty strong every week? And so far, we're doing that. And surprisingly, we're 3-3 three and three so far this season. So we're not that bad, despite some of the bad things that's been happening. I feel like the Bears' record is always better than what you'd expect. Did you know that we haven't had a losing season since, like, 2017, but, like, every year everyone thinks the Bears suck? Like, it's kind of crazy. They just find ways to win some games. Mostly thanks to our defense for the most part. Yeah, a few years ago especially. But, hey, at least now we're starting to show glimpses of a good offensive line and a quarterback. So we might start winning games not because of our defense. Looking at the games from last week, so three out of the four games that we split decisions on during our pick'em 
went to overtime, which was crazy. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. Unfortunately, I got all three of those wrong, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, a few went my way. That just shows that, uh, you know, you heard here first on the crew. When you don't agree, it's probably going to be a really good game. Yeah, that's true. Like, everything that we disagreed on ended up being close, and they all could have went either way. Yeah. But so far this year, there have been 11 overtime games, and we're, what, six weeks of the season? The record is 25 in a season. That was back in 2002. And we've had at least one overtime game every week so far this season, and there was three this past weekend. And 23 games so far this year have been decided in the final minute or overtime. Incredible. Just amazing football we've seen this year. So many games this year have come down to the wire. I think we might break the record this year, too, because this year there's no 17 weeks. There's 18 weeks of regular season. Yeah, so we got an extra week to break a record. What was your game of the week last week, with all this being said? The Patriots and the Cowboys game. In general, like, so many things happen at the end of the game that, like, it was just incredible. Uh, so the Patriots were up by a little, and then Mac Jones does a pick six, and the Cowboys uh, scored. Diggs has another pick, and I think he's had, like, a pick every week. And then the very next play, when the Patriots get the ball, Diggs gets torched, and Mac Jones throws a touchdown pass, and they score, and they take the lead again. And then Cowboys go down and tie it up, and it's overtime. And in overtime, CD has an absolutely insane catch and just walks off the field and waves the crowd goodbye. Yeah, there were four lead changes in the second half and three three of them in the last six minutes, 30 seconds of that game. It was, it was crazy. But that Cowboys offense is insane with Prescott back. Yeah, Dak has another 400-yard passing game. I don't even know how many that's been. I love CD in college football, but last year I was thinking like, dang, he's not he's not looking that good. Like he's looking okay, but he's not looking that great. And then this year so far, he's been just showing that yeah, he's definitely was one of the better receivers in that class, which was a stacked class of receivers too. I think the last two receiver classes, his class and the one before, have been absolutely just on a tear. And I mean, a lot of those are Alabama guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. The whole Alabama yeah. receiver room that came into the NFL over the past couple of years has been stacked. They've all done well, I mean. All right, moving on to next week's pick'em. I'm now ahead after last week. I'm 3-2-1. and one. You're 2-3-1. and one. Getting into the picks. So Thursday night, we got Denver at Cleveland. I'm surprised we both have Cleveland for this one. I've liked Cleveland early on, but as of late, they've been showing me they're not as good as I thought they were. But I just don't like Denver that much. Uh, and they lost their last three. Cleveland lost their last two. But I think Cleveland gets this done. Yeah, Denver and Carolina both started 3-0, and and now they're both 3-3. Three and I was a little hesitant on this pick. I mean, normally, like at this point of the year, looking at this, I would have went straight Cleveland. But Cleveland... Baker got hurt, dislocated his shoulder twice last game. Their top two running backs are both out for next week. And so it's going to be interesting seeing if their offense is still going to be able to do what it's been doing all year. But yeah, Denver has been underachieving. I mean, how do you lose a home game to a team that just lost a coach halfway through the week? Like, did they even have a game plan ready? Like, I just, <laughs> I just don't get it. Like, how did I lose the Raiders last week? We both picked Denver last week because we thought all the things going on off the field might affect Oakland. I mean, oh, I still call them Oakland. We thought all the things last week might affect the Raiders, but they did not at all. That game was not even close. 
I mean, if if Denver couldn't win that game, I, I find it like hard for them to come into Cleveland and win, even despite the injuries in Cleveland. Plus, like Cleveland has a really ferocious defense. They haven't looked too ferocious as of late. I mean, it was against the Cardinals last week, so. Yeah, true. And the week before it was against the Chargers, so two really explosive offenses. I mean, how about Kyler Murray, though, by the way? Side note on that game. That was crazy. Oh, yeah. So the Cardinals last week, check this stat out. Their offense ended up with points on seven out of ten drives that game. Wow. Efficient. It's hard to lose if you do that. Uh, I know in 2017, Kyler Murray was Baker Mayfield's backup, uh, but this week he showed that he was definitely better. Yeah, he surpassed his old Oklahoma roommate. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on to the Sunday games, Washington at Green Bay. We both got Green Bay. Kansas City at Tennessee. This should be a good game. This is tough. I want to pick Tennessee, but I just see Tennessee as one of those teams that just up and down. It can play. Yeah, exactly. It plays really good one week and does it the next week. I'm going to go with Kansas City. Yeah, I'm out of Tennessee. I'm with Kansas City, too. <laughs> <laughs> Atlanta at Miami. We both got Miami. Jets at Patriots. We both got the Patriots. Here's another one where we differ. Carolina at the Giants. So, Carolina's on a three-game losing streak, and the Giants have had so many injuries, but you went with Carolina. I went with the Giants. One of the reasons is I know Carolina's on a three-game losing streak, but all three of those losses were one-score games. I mean, you get close, so close every week. I mean, you think you'd win one of them, and I think that's that's where I'm, I'm going to go with. And plus, I mean, New York's not the prettiest team in the NFL. I mean, they're one in five, so I'm going to have to go with uh, Carolina. Yeah, I'm going with the upset here. I just think the common factor or the common denominator in Carolina's losses have been that they don't have Christian McCaffrey. They're just not the same offense with him on the sideline. Yeah, no, I totally agree. New York, Daniel Jones had a lot of turnovers. He had four turnovers, three of them coming in the first half, and which was one of his biggest issues last year. But this year, up until that game last week, he did not have an issue with turnovers. Like, he's been taking care of the ball, and he's been playing well. Last week, I think they got behind early to a pretty explosive Rams offense, and it kind of just forced Daniel Jones to take risk and ended up with a lot of turnovers. But I think the Giants are going to win a couple games this year. I could see, I could just see this upset. Well, I was going to say, uh, I'm going to be honest, I actually was almost going to pick the Giants too, so... This might be one of those super close games again. Uh, next, we got Cincinnati at Baltimore. I've been impressed with Cincinnati so far this year, but Baltimore is just, they take their game to another level every week. Yeah, they're getting better and better as the season goes along. I think one of the biggest things from Baltimore is Lamar is, I, I want to say become a better quarterback, but Lamar is smart. Like he, He's learning how to read defenses better, I think. And if he sees you're blitzing, and if he sees where the blitz is coming from, he's going to burn you. He did it He did it a lot against the Chargers, and their defense looked good. They held the normally explosive Chargers offense just one touchdown and six points all game. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't believe they dominated the Chargers the way they did, too, because I, I really didn't think Ravens were going to win that one. I mean, we thought it'd be at least close because we both picked the Chargers. Yeah, exactly. Although I like the Bengals this year, I can't go with them. No, not the way Baltimore is looking right now. Moving into the later window games, 
Philadelphia at Vegas. This is my second upset pick of this week. I got Philadelphia. I don't know. I just think their offense has been pretty decent. And Vegas looked really good last week. So, I don't know why. I just got a feeling. I mean, I don't know what to say. I I know Vegas doesn't have their coach, but they seem to be do just fine without him. And uh, the Raiders' offense looked really good. I like Hurts, but I don't think he can move the ball enough to keep up with the Raiders' uh, offensive firepower. Yeah, I've I've liked what I've seen from Hurts so far this year. Even though you know Philly hasn't won too many games. Um, Detroit at the Rams. Uh, Detroit's not a bad team, but I. Th- we both think they dropped to zero and six. Wait, is Detroit? Detroit's the only team without a win in the NFL, which I feel kind of bad because I don't think they're the worst team in the NFL. No, they're definitely not the worst, but their luck is the worst. Yeah, exactly. They've had so many close games. Yeah, you would think at least one of them would have went their way. They but... would have accidentally won one. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally won. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's tough being a Lions fan, man. Houston at Arizona. Arizona just... We both picked against them last week, and that was a mistake. They dominated Cleveland. I don't think I'm going to go against Arizona anytime soon, because I think I went against them the last two weeks, and both sides of the ball, they're just dominant. I think Arizona's just been the most consistent team so far this year. Yeah, they haven't really had an off week. I think the only off week I'd argue they had was against Minnesota, and they still won that game, of course. Mm -hmm. Next, your Bears are going down to Tampa to take on the Bucks. Yeah, we beat them last year with Nick Foles. So can we do it again with Fields? Probably not. I'm going well, yeah, I was going to say, you say no, and <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But early in the season last year, they were getting their chemistry together. This year, they're pretty solid. We're not going to win. Yeah, they got their chemistry down. And Gronk is returning this week. And uh, I'm pretty sure Montgomery's still out. And uh, we got a couple people on the defensive line out, including like Robert Quinn. Bears are just a little injured too, so... It's a tough matchup. But what I want to see is some improvement from Fields. That's all I want to see. Every week, just a little bit better. Next, we got Sunday Night Football. The Colts at San Francisco 49ers. You got the 49ers, and I got the Colts. I think this is going to be a close game. Dang, just so you know, like, no lie, I was actually about to pick the Colts, too. I was between these two. The Colts, every week, they're pretty close. Like, whenever they're playing a good team, they're pretty close. They just don't get over the hump. But last week, I thought they, they had a good game last week. They played well. Their offense is beginning to click. They're beginning to figure it out. They had a lot of explosive plays, both in the passing game and on the ground. They absolutely dismantled uh, the Texans. But, like, I mean, that's that's Houston. <laughs> The 49ers, though, they did have a bye week to rest for this one, so that was part of my factor. But the thing is, bye weeks can go one or two ways. Either your team looks a lot sharper coming back because they rested, or they look sluggish because they haven't played in a little bit. But, I mean, 49ers, their losses, because they had three losses, and all of them were one-score games. So I think, you know, coming into the bye, they're trying to fix those mistakes, and I think they're going to come out and win against the Colts. But I think both these teams, they both have losing records, but they're both teams that I think can easily be a winning team. Like Both these teams are a lot better than their record shows. That will be a close game, definitely. And then Monday night, we got another good game. Got the Saints taking on Seattle. I kind of want to pick Seattle because I've liked what I've seen from Geno Smith. I don't, though. That was the reason I picked against him last week. He's not Russ, obviously. I don't think the rest of the team is strong enough that it can cover for him not being Russ. He's looked better than you would expect from past Geno Smith. And he, yeah, he's he's played solid, but 
You're gonna need more than solid play to beat the town the Saints have. Yeah. Uh going back to Geno Smith, I think part of the reason he's looked good, part of the reason why they have him specifically as a backup to Russell Wilson is because he can play a similar style to Wilson and they don't have to change the game plan too much for when he comes in for Russ. True. They're both vet- veteran quarterbacks, good pocket passes, but have the ability to get out of the pocket if needed. So yeah, they're pretty similar for sure. I think that wraps it up for NFL. As we're recording this, because we're recording this on a Tuesday, right now, tonight, is the NBA opening night for the 75th season. The season kicks off with the Nets first Bucks at 7.30. It tips off. <laughs> I'm used to talking <laughs> no, football so much. Yeah, exactly. Same. So the season tips off with Nets versus Bucks and Warriors versus Lakers tonight. Great slate to start the season. Great slate. And we got a couple games every day. In other news out of the NBA, more Ben Simmons drama. And we've talked about this. We've talked about Ben Simmons a lot throughout the summer, kind of before the pod started and throughout the pod. and. <laughs> This is starting to become a Ben Simmons pod. <laughs> yeah, our our NBA <laughs> section is starting to become just an update on Ben Simmons. But in the latest news, Ben Simmons got kicked out of practice for not wanting to engage. Apparently, it was reported that Doc wanted him to participate in a defensive drill, and he said no, and he kept refusing. So Doc just asked him to go home, and they suspended him for the first game. Wow, there's more drama with him. No news around Ben Simmons has just been positive anymore. Earlier this week, there was a video surfaced of a 76ers practice. And, you know, Ben Simmons was practicing with his phone in his pocket. At the end of practice, when the team kind of huddled up, he was just playing with a ball in the background, like behind the huddle. And then he just left before everyone else. And he's really becoming a distraction for the 76ers. And even at this point, Embiid seems to be upset with him now. He said in the press conference after the game, at this point, I don't care about that man. He does whatever he wants. He's starting to become a distraction for the team. I mean, at this point, I think it's best for him and for the team that they just get rid of him as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. No, I totally agree. He's becoming a problem. With the NBA season starting as we're recording this, we got an NBA-themed Rank It to Match. This week, we are ranking our top three seeds in each conference. You're going to start with the East or West? Uh, good question. Let's start with the West because both of our favorite teams are in the East. So my number one seed, I, I can't tell if it's surprising because there's just a lot of good teams in the West, but I said the Lakers. I think it's a safe pick. I agree with you. I have the same. Yeah. After that disappointing first round loss against the Suns, I think the Lakers are going to come back stronger. And, you know, this is the longest offseason break LeBron's had in a while. Uh, So he's got a good chance to rest up. And now, they had Russell Westbrook, who's just a workhorse to the team. Like, I, I don't think his skill set matches well with the team, but the tenacity he plays with is definitely going to help uh, an aging Lakers squad. You call it an aging squad. I'll call it a veteran team. <laughs> and they, they know how to win games. They have enough stars at this point. They don't need, like, LeBron to carry every night. They, they don't need Anthony Davis to go crazy. They don't need Russell Westbrook to get a triple-double every night, but I'm sure he will. But they're just deep at every position with veteran guys that have been there outside of their big three. You got Melo, you got Ariza, you got Bazemore. They picked up Avery Bradley. They got Talon Horton Tucker still, who's young. 
You got Wayne Ellington's been around for a while. You got Dwight Howard's been around for a while. DeAndre Jordan, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Rajon Rondo. Those are all like that's outside of their big three. There's so many playmakers, so many rebounders. Only part I would say they kind of struggle with is shooting, but like everyone has a bit rage on that team. They'll figure that out. Yeah, all around, I think it's the deepest team in the West, and uh, they're just going to win a lot of regular season games. So my number two uh, was the Nuggets, and I don't know, this is, this is still kind of tough, but that young big three, you know, they're just going to continue to get better, and they have the reigning MVP on their team in Jokic, and I really think this is a year that uh, Michael Porter is going to come back and have a great game, MPJ, and then Murray's finally returning too, so I think they're, they're going to be really good. Yeah, they're going to be better than last year. My number two is the Utah Jazz. So the Jazz won the West last year. And I mean, they're basically returning everyone. All the players that got hurt in the postseason last year are going to be back and healthy to start this season. So I'm just expecting similar results from this year. Wait, I totally agree because my number three team is the Utah Jazz. And oh, okay. Yeah, for a lot of the same reasons. And yeah, they're so deep. They had like six players that averaged like 12 plus points per game. And like, you know, they have good defense. and. I mean, obviously, their prime scorer is uh, Donovan Mitchell, but they have a bunch of players that could score the ball. Even when he was gone for that game in the playoffs, even though they lost, they, they showed that they could hang with other playoff teams. My number three is the Warriors. And Clay's not going to start the season, but when Clay returns and everyone's healthy, I think they're going to make a late run. Wiseman was doing good last year. He's going to be back from his injury. They got Kaminga from the draft, another good young big man. And they added Iggy, Bialica, and Otto Porter Jr. in the offseason. So some depth. And then, I mean, I just think a healthy Steph and a healthy Clay can beat anyone. Come playoff time, this is just going to be a, a hot team and a one you don't want to match up with. Absolutely. And they, they got the season off really strong last year. Yeah, totally excited to see Steph and Clay back together. Yeah, all right. Let's go to the East now. Number one seed for the East. I, no surprise here, uh, have the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they're going to finish as the number one seed. Uh, you know, reigning champs, just, yeah, just great all around. Not much more to say. So why did you take the Bucks over the Nets? Well, I'm assuming is going to be your number two. Exactly. Yep, they are my number two. And the reason is mostly because uh, Kyrie's out and, I know they can win games without Kyrie, especially with Harden and Durant. Uh, the problem I have with the Nets is Kyrie, KD, and Harden all love to rest. Like even last year, they missed like games because they sat out. I think they're gonna have games without KD and Harden, and those are just gonna be losses because I don't think their team's that good without them. Fully healthy, I think this Nets team could hang with the Bucks even without Kyrie. So I had similar logic to you, right? I had Bucks one, Nets two. So I put the Bucks at one because they're returning everyone from their championship run except P.J. Tucker. I think it's the only one they're really losing. And they're just good in the regular season, mostly because of their depth. DiVincenzo's returning from injury this year, so they're adding some depth to their backcourt. And they don't have to rely on Giannis to win regular season games. I think they're just gonna they're gonna win 60 plus games again this year and get the number one seed. And then I got Nets number two. I think the Nets with Kyrie undoubtedly Obviously, the best team in the East, probably in the league. Without Kyrie, I still think the Nets are the best team in the East. I just don't think they're going to win as many regular season games, partially because of what you said about like the resting and, and if KD and Harden don't play every game. Come playoff time, though, 
I think the Nets still are the ones to make it out of the East over the Bucks. I just think the Bucks will end up as the higher seed. Oh, yeah, that's good logic too, yeah. Especially with the their tendency to rest. And yeah, because of the tendency to rest, I could even see them fall below the two seed. But I wouldn't be too worried about their uh, playoff run as long as those stars can stay healthy. Now, this is an interesting one. Who you got at three? This is so tough, but I was thinking about it. And the way Joel Embiid played last year, it'd be tough to not pick the 76ers. Like, even despite... Uh, ben Simmons not being here. The way Embiid and like this crew played, uh, they're gonna be really tough to beat. Uh, and I think they'll be the three seed. So for me, I was between the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Heat for the three. Ooh. So the reason I did not choose the Sixers is because, well, one, with what's going on right now, I think Ben Simmons is just becoming a distraction, and is nothing but negative to the team. And second, with them not having Ben Simmons. I'm just assuming he's not going to play. Like, it's the same team from last year, minus one star. So my choice came down to the Celtics and the Heat, and I just got the Heat over the Celtics. The Heat, with all the offseason news and everyone moving around, I feel like the Heat were a little under the radar, not as talked about, but they had a lot of good moves. They improved their point guard spot with Kyle Lowry. It's going to take some ball handling, some responsibility off of Butler and allow him to do more. Heroes look good throughout the preseason. And they added Markeith Morris and P.J. Tucker. And you got Depot coming back sometime in the midseason. I think the Heat are deep. And they got one of the best seven-man rotations, probably. Oh, I forgot you guys had Depot still. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about his injury, too. Yeah. Wow, yeah. No, Heat are really deep. And I mean, I feel like they had a really big run uh, October 2020 when they you know, played against the Lakers in the finals. But that was a super short season and definitely uh, challenged him throughout last year's regular season with injuries. And yeah, I think Hero had a bad season, but I think he's going to bounce back too. So yeah, I can see the Heat being the three seed. Exciting that the NBA is coming back starting tonight. Already, like the NFL season and college football seasons have, are off to great starts. Like some of the best seasons I've seen. And now, with what's about to happen with NBA with all the moving pieces, I think we're about to have three really good seasons happening at the same time. Yeah, and just a lot more for us to watch and talk about and discuss. Exactly. Exactly. That wraps it up for this week, guys. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Crew Sports Pod. You can reach out to us and follow us for updates about. When our new episodes come out, that's it for this week. I'll see you next Thursday. Same time, same place.